Was our nice word in Parshchai Sur in Imre Pinchas, he brings that the chalas of Shabbos and Yom Tif, when they rise and they look so appealing and so nice, it's because of the housewife. It's because of the woman at home that's baking them. See, we know the Pusik says, The woman is compared to the bread. That's what it says by Aishas Patifar. He says that when the woman is smiling and the woman is, is ovgalaked, you know, she, she looks appealing, she's, she looks pleasant, the chalas also come out very pleasant. And there are times that a woman doesn't look so pleasant, he says, there are times that a woman doesn't look so pleasant, and you'll be able to notice that the chalas don't either look as pleasant and as appealing as, as, as when she did. She says that Rashi says um, about Surah, Chaya Surah, that it was a Brucha Metziya Be'isa. Right? The simple explanation that we teach, for ch- we teach children is that the, the bread, the, the dough, had a blessing in it. Right? It was a Brucha in, in the dough. What does it mean? That you baked a little and there was a lot of, a lot of bread. That's how we teach the children. It lasted. There was a, there was a lot. He said, and that can't be what it was. It can't, it can't be that the, the Brucha in the bread was that there was a lot of bread, an abundance of, of challah. He said, Avram Avini was a big oyster. He had a lot of money. That's the brucha that he got, that he had a lot of challah. He couldn't afford to have more challah. He says, the brucha that goes into dough, that was there by Surimani, was that it looked appealing. That it was pretty. And that came from the punim, from the face and the, and the looks of, of Surimani. I just thought that was very interesting. Um, very not what we're used to hearing. Now, I don't know if anyone will be able to actually um, see it in the challah. Maybe some people could. Maybe now if you take a look, you'll notice that when your wife is in a good mood, the challahs look better. I don't know. Um... But, and, and this bruche maybe is more a roch music bruche right it's the same idea Shtayt Nagidekala the Benes says that there's a bruche in the lecht of Shabbos and, and the, the Shabbos lecht Shabbos candles actually burn longer on Shabbos than they would during the week maybe you could try it out and see if you notice the same candle burns less time during the week than on Shabbos that's what he says but even if you can't see these things in real life and if you don't, if you don't notice them we know it's there and what I'm thinking is that I think most people will be able to notice it not so much because they could tell on the challah, but you could tell it in the ear. When a wife is smiling, and a wife is happy, and a wife looks happy, and a wife is, uh, you know, has that look and that demeanor that's appealing, the challah stays there. Because the whole atmosphere at home is tastier. When somebody's in a bad mood, or somebody's sulking, or somebody's giving you a cold shoulder, the challah doesn't look good. Nothing looks good. Nothing tastes good. Nothing's interesting. So I'm saying there's something we could take out of this, that the Bruch HaMetziah B'Isa, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you'll notice it in the shape of the challah, or if your neighbor will notice it, looking through the window at the challah, but it's definitely something you'll notice, and something very important for all of us to realize that whether you're the wife or the husband, or who you are, whichever part of a marriage or any relationship you're in, so much about your, your face and your expressions and your attitude definitely has a hashpua and a direct influence on everything on your table and everything in the room and everything in the house. So nobody should take that lightly and say, well, I'm in a bad mood. You're definitely affecting everything around you, and this is what we're being taught of Surya Maini. Everything around her was, was beautiful and, and pleasant to look at. So I think that's a very important um, lesson for us. So let me read an email that I got, dear Rabbi Gruen. I really enjoy listening to your answer to you answers to your answers and responses and gained a lot of insight in physics. Okay? Thank you for that. I have the following question. Baksham, I was blessed with a wonderful and supportive husband who was so good to me. Lucky you. I'm just saying it now again because just this week somebody told me that hearing me uh, mention this often in my classes helped him not take for granted the good that he has in his marriage, so I'm saying it again. You, know, you should never take for granted any good part that you have in a marriage or anywhere. However, okay, I find that there are a number of roadblocks pertaining to Yiddishkeit that prevent me from being happy and content in our relationship. For instance, when my husband doesn't go daven with a minion, is it my place to say something and remind him to go to shul, or the fact that I think he should get a filter on his phone? On the one hand, I don't want to be his police lady. On the other hand, 
I want my husband to conduct himself in an ethical way, and I want to do my job as an Ezek Anegdoi, I bring out the best in him. Basically, my question to you is, how do I be the best supportive and influential wife without being a police lady, or too stifling, that Kachaz Vashom caused my husband to go the wrong way? When do I voice what I think is the right thing to do, and when do I just daven and leave everything in Hashem's hand? I eagerly await your reply. Thank you for your response in advance. Okay. So let's start with this. First of all, you write that you eagerly await my reply. My reply. I keep on saying this. This question probably came in a half a year ago. So if you're eagerly waiting for half a year instead of getting one-on-one guidance that could be more helpful or quicker to be helpful and, and, and waste less time, it's probably the better way to go. I still hope that whatever I'm going to say now will be a benefit to the questioner and to anyone else listening. Who this question just came up maybe yesterday. But it's definitely not the right way to go to, to wait six months for an answer. And I'm, t- I'm saying it clearly that whoever is waiting for answers you know, in this, in this forum, in, in this platform that I have, should know that it takes a long time. Um, now, the question at hand is unfortunately an old, sad topic that, com- that keeps on coming up. I probably spoke about it quite a few times already, and, and we'll keep on talking about it. It's something that's, that's relative to men and women. You know, on the one hand, we're very used to hearing that a, woman, uh, a lady shouldn't be her husband's mashgiach, but it goes both ways. Very many men ask the same exact questions. How much should I tell my wife? When should I tell my wife? Should I tell my wife? And many husbands. And it's not as different as you think as, as, a, as the topic of chinuch and children. Should I tell my teenager? Should I not tell my teenager? Should I say this to my married child? Should I not? It's just each time it has a little different context. It's, it's different how a husband should be, should be approaching his wife and what kind of attitude he should be giving and how a wife should be talking to a husband and how parents talk to children and when they're married. But aside from all those dynamics, the, the, the question always remains really the same question. I'm seeing someone do, doing something they shouldn't be doing. What's my role? How much should I be doing? And, and, and what's the right thing to do? And how much should I just tie? You know? It's always the same question when you think about it. So let me, let me um, give a few, a few insights or tips that might be helpful. The first thing is to know how to approach such a thing. It's very easy to turn this into the issue, something I wrote about recently in one of my essays. Um, th- this could become the issue. In other words... My marriage is good, my husband's nice, but there's this huge issue here, so, so, so how can we have a good relationship? It's sad when people mix the two. Keep your relationship the way it should be, let it be the best relationship in the world, and, and, and deal with the issue. Remember, this is an issue that I have, this is not the issue, this is not the relationship, it doesn't make everything enmeshed and intertwined and, and, and problematic. That's definitely an, an important thing just for starters. In other words, what you started telling me that you're blessed with a wonderful supportive husband, however... Just make sure that it's only a however, but not part of the same issue where one actually negates or affects the other in any way. Very important. It will be sad when this issue, as difficult as it is, as challenging as it is, as, as disturbing as it is, as extreme as it is, should then go affect something that maybe it didn't have to. Maybe it could have remained an isolated issue even if it wasn't resolved. Very important to remember that. Now, the attitude in general, okay? My husband's doing something he shouldn't do. What's my... What, what, what's my responsibility? What's my attitude toward that? So some people think that because there's the idea of not being a husband's mashgiach, or because it's not your responsibility, so so you know, be you know, apathy. You know, I, I don't care. It's not, it's not my thing. I, it's not my thing. And some people will even say it um, arrogantly. You know, I made peace with it. It has nothing to do with me. It's not my responsibility. I surrender. All kinds of different words that people use. You have to remember that the, there's the Yiddish attitude, especially when it comes to Ruchnius, is Kol Yisrael You should care about every Yid. You should care about your neighbor, you should care about your nephew, you should care about the person you don't know, you should care, you should care about Klai Yisrael. And of course, the closer to home, the more you should care. You should never feel good about not caring. Not caring about someone else is, is, is never 
is never, is never the, the right the right thing. How, how how could you not care? Especially if it's your child or your spouse. You you, you think you're doing you you're patting yourself on the back because I, I I learned not to care. My therapist taught me not to care. I hate these words. I'm like, they taught someone to not to care. How can you not care? You should never not care. You should never not care. Now you're allowed to care about yourself as well. It's not a contradiction. You don't, you don't have to become automatically selfless and only care about someone else's well-being and someone else's madregan or someone else's closeness to Hashem or someone else's um, challenges. You're allowed to care about yourself too. Some people feel that if I'm going to care about someone else, then I can't care about myself. I don't see the contradiction. No, but if I only care about my child, then maybe I'll have to tolerate certain things and then I'm going to look bad and, and I'm not holding... You're allowed to care about yourself. You're allowed to care about your child. And it's not a contradiction. You're allowed to care about your image. We're all human. You're allowed to care about what the neighbors will say. You're allowed to care about what people will think. Again, don't, don't berate yourself for being human. But you're allowed to care about someone else as well. It's very important to care. Um, no, you're allowed to care, especially when, when it's important, especially when it's Hashem, especially when it's, when it's things that are important to us. Of course you care. Now, the question is, what do I do about it? Okay, so now, now let's talk about practicality. What could you do? What should you do? How much are you obligated to do? How much you shouldn't do? But don't start off with, with either deciding to not care and not do anything, or to care and do something. It doesn't always have to go together. Sometimes you can care and not do anything, because it's nothing to do. So, Let's, let's talk a little more practically what someone like this could do in such a situation. The first thing I think you want to do is assess the situation. It's similar to what I said in the other class about phobias, but over here it's a little different. Sometimes things that you're dealing with and things that are disturbing you are trivial. No, I'm saying it's trivial. Maybe it's not so trivial. Again, th- that's the point. Some people get stuck on things, and I've seen this very often. I once heard a, a, a bocher, it was an older bocher, older single bocher, and he came from a broken home, and a difficult background, and everything. But the point was that he was describing to me um, his father's situation, let's call it Yiddishkeit situation. And I'm just thinking of an example that I could, uh, that I could, that I could say. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating just a little bit and, and trying to stay as far away as I could from the, from the real example that was given. But he said something like, my father, I heard that, he was, he was, he was explaining why he doesn't want to have a connection with his father. His father's so far away from Yiddishkeit, he could be Machal Shabbos. I've seen him davening without a gartel. He was saying that in one sentence. He was being Machal Shabbos, davening without a gartel. Now, davening without a gartel is a terrible thing. Don't get me wrong. If it's your Messoyer to daven with a gartel, and, and Zaminig, and has a Makar and Alocha, and, and whatever, it's, it's, it's beautiful. To, to say that in the same sentence as somebody being Machal Shabbos, especially if it's Befahes, like a whole different, then something's wrong. You ain't getting something. So to him, it seemed like it was all one big thing. He couldn't believe, based on how he grew up and the importance of, that he saw the Gartel had. You know, my father dumps without a Gartel. To him, he was like, but it just goes to show that if you don't discuss it with someone, you might not realize that what to you looks terrible might be for you terrible and should be for you terrible, but at the end of the day, it's not a reason to not have to do it with someone. Okay, so the reason I'm saying this is because I've seen people that have a problem with their spouse's Yiddishkeit and they'll, they'll start comparing things or, or get stuck on things that, you know, Whatever. Again, without giving examples, people get stuck on things that are relatively trivial and not something to even make a big deal about at all. Not something to be resentful about. Not something to even care about, let's say. Before I was talking about caring. No, it's fine. Everyone has their little challenges in life and everyone could always grow and, and, and be better and, and, and your spouse is not the best they could be. It's true. But as long as it's not doing anything specifically disturbing or out of bounds or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe you should just look the other way and look to see what you could help yourself grow. So that, that's the first thing. Another thing that's important that I think people sometimes don't realize, I don't know if I ever describe, um, explain it this way, is that it's very important to assess a situation of neglecting Yiddishkeit. It's important. 
Is it, is it an apathetic attitude where somebody just doesn't care anymore? Is it a fight and a rebellion against Yiddishkeit? Is it just the old resentment that's affecting certain parts of Yiddishkeit? Which somebody also told me recently about a certain struggle that a Bukhar had in a specific area because he was so resentful about how he was taught in that area. That one thing was put on him and he just, you know, that, that's the one thing he doesn't want to do. Is it just that he's too lazy? Some people just don't do what they're supposed to because they're lazy. And, and they don't even mean anything bad. Sometimes somebody's just changing lanes. Not that it's a great idea to do, but he's not anymore belonging to a certain kehillah. For whatever reason, he moved, or whatever, it wasn't working for him, and he's doing something in a different lane, very perfectly. In the new kehillah he joined, he's doing everything right, and not at all neglecting anything, not at all coming from any kind of uh, downgrade. It's important to know what you're dealing with. So again, I'm not going into the specifics of each category, but when you see your husband or your wife doing something, it's important to remember... What's that coming from, and how bad is it, and, 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 and what's the source, and, and does it have to be fixed, and could it be fixed? And if it could be fixed, then what has to be fixed? Is it the emotional part, is it the spiritual part? Is it? So I'm just saying this because a lot of it has to be taken into account to, to figure out what you should be doing. Again, I hope I'm not making it more complicated than, than it was already, but it's just important to know the answers to these questions if you're trying to figure out what to do. Another thing you want to take into account is where does it, and how does it, or does it, affect you directly? Does this person's neglect in any area, does this person's um, decline in Yiddishkeit affect you directly or not? It's a very big difference. If it doesn't, it's all about that person and how much you're supposed to care and how much you're supposed to do for that person. If, it's, if it doesn't affect you directly, then maybe part of it is just what you should do to make sure that, that it doesn't affect you. Maybe, maybe you're just going along with something or whatever. When it affects children, that's another whole thing. Maybe, you, maybe you're directly obligated to, to be there for your children to make sure it doesn't affect them. Very, very important. You know, it's, it's, it's children are a shared responsibility, and sometimes you don't have the option or the right to say, listen, it's, it's my husband's thing, and I don't want to do anything about it. It is your husband's thing, and it's not your responsibility, but it's affecting your children. That's a whole different thing. So I'm just bringing out the different parts, of the, the different pieces, the different uh, lanes to look into, because this is all very important. So getting back to what you said, I'm, I'm looking at your question about him, Nadavni um, minion having a filter on his phone. I just wanted to mention that it could be very different in very, very many other cases. Let's just say that much. Now, there's the idea that very often we, women are taught and callers are taught, and, hu- and husbands as well sometimes, but not being your husband's mashgiach. Right? Not my husband's mashgiach. You're not here to be your husband's mentor, to be, to watch, to be his uh, surveillance camera, or to make sure he does the right thing. The question is why? Why is that? Where does that come from? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a Rambam or Shachnur that says you shouldn't be husband's mashgiach. So, so the idea has to come from somewhere, if it's a true idea. I think what it boils down to is that you're not necessarily... It's two points, I think. You're not responsible for what someone else does. You care, but you're not responsible for what someone else does. And sometimes the attitude of being someone else's mashkir is like, I have to make sure this happens. I have to make sure that you can do the right thing. And even in Chinech your job is to be mechanech, to be the best mechanech you can be, but it's not to, to, to make sure that someone chooses right. You're not, you can choose for yourself. You can choose for someone else. You can choose for a child. You can teach a child. You can do whatever you could. It does say that men are responsible for what women do in terms of being achrui for what happens at home, but also not because they're responsible. They're responsible to take it seriously and to know that there's a responsibility on them. But it's not because if somebody chooses bad, it means it's your fault or, or you should have chosen for them. It doesn't work like that in real life. That's first of all. The second idea of not being a husband is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, so being someone's policeman, when it's not working... It, it doesn't work. So, Chazal teaches that Kshem Shemitzvah Leim Meduvah Nishma Kach Mitzvah Leim Meduvah Nishma. Just like you're supposed to say something when it has to be said, you're not supposed to say what, what, what's not going to be taken well. 
And we even find it in, in Shachnurach. It says, um, the Ramah brings it to Gabba, it's a Gemurah. Um, husband's not telling the wife to be Makabal Toysus, I think it's Toysus Yom Kippur, or Toysus Shabbos, because Mitav Shishagam with the Yimazidim, they're not going to listen anyway, at least let them be a Shoyging instead of a Mazid. There's the idea of not saying what won't be taken well. So there's very two important points which have very big implications. Which means, it, not being your husband's Mashgir because you're not responsible for what someone else does, means that make sure you're not being responsible for what someone else does. If you are responsible for what someone else does, in any way, it's very important to make sure that that you're doing yours. What I mean to say is that sometimes your husband doesn't have a filter on his phone, let's say, so you feel that you're not responsible for what he does. But in the meantime, maybe you don't have one on your phone. Yeah, but I'm different because my boss, oh, oh, one second. So now already it's not an issue of not being your husband's mashgiach, it's an issue of making sure you're not responsible for what he does, and maybe you are. Or maybe sometimes showing that you don't care even when he asked you, and you don't want to say anything because you're not as mashgiach, maybe that's the part where you are responsible because if you would have said you cared, maybe, maybe he would have maybe he would have done something differently. So not being a husband mashgiach means making sure that you're not responsible or, or enabling or, or, or making, you know, or, or doing something that's going to that's gonna work. Now, now, whatever does work, and this is another thing I want to say, not being a husband mashgiach has something to do with mitiv shi In other words, if your husband's just plain lazy, and he would actually even appreciate a reminder. He would love you more for, for telling him, you know, it's not a great idea what you're doing. And he would appreciate it. Then why wouldn't you? No, I'm not Imash Giyach. What type of thing is that? If you know, if you care about someone, and you know that something they're doing could be easily rectified or easily taken care of by you doing something, to just say, I'm not doing me, I'm not responsible. What type of thing is that? Maybe you are responsible because you should have said something. So that's a very important point that, of course, you're supposed to know when not to say something and when to realize that, listen, I'm not responsible, I can't choose for someone else, and if I say it, it's just going to cause damage, or going to make things worse, so I have to remember I'm not as mushkiyach. Of course, sometimes it could be too overwhelming for someone to carry responsibility on someone else to a point where they're taught you know, it's not, it's not your responsibility, it's okay, you know, you did yours. But sometimes it's important to realize that it's very simple and very easy to say something, something could have been done. And I say this often. When people say, what should I do? My, my first response always is, why don't you tell them to have a filter on his phone? Most often the answer is, well, I did that already, it didn't work. Oh, that's fine. But if you didn't say it yet, why not? Why wouldn't you say something the first time? Somebody tells me, my son doesn't get up in time. So why don't you wake him or tell him he has to get up earlier? I don't know, I don't want, I hear people try. That. Again, maybe your son will appreciate it. If you don't try first, initially, the normal way, then why would you assume it's not going to work? Some people just, just have this attitude of it's not my responsibility. What do you mean? Why, why wouldn't two people married be there for each other? Now, I assume that whoever is writing this question probably did try in the past. So if it's not working, it's a different story. But it, it's a different story because it's not working. And if you could come up with something that does work, then go ahead, try it. Why not? If your husband will appreciate that you go to sleep early and he'll also go to sleep early and because of that, again, it's not your responsibility. So if it's too hard, you don't have to. You, don't, you should feel obligated and codependent that you have to now go to sleep early so he can get up early. But if you could and it's easy and it will help him and he'll appreciate it, then why not? Why, would, why wouldn't you be there for someone? You're only there to cook him food. You're not there to help him grow. I'm just giving the balance where sometimes it's important to be the VS. Now, of course, like I said before, if this affects you directly or it's affecting the children, it's a different story. You have to know how much of it should you go along with, shouldn't you go with, how much you're allowed to go along with, etc., which i get to in a minute. Now, just a few tips practically speaking. If your spouse is struggling with whatever it is in Yiddish guide and it's problematic, it's not trivial, let's say, then I think one of the things you want to do is be connected emotionally and be the best spouse you could be. Now, everybody should be. Everybody listening to this should be the best spouse they could be. But when somebody has certain struggles, it's important to be very connected and very, 
you know, very, very there for someone, just emotionally, just in the relationship, to have the best influence and the best uh, connection that you could have. It's, it's often all that you could do, but that's very important. That's very important. You yourself behave Erlich consistently. Don't overdo it and, and don't um, become the rabbits and just to counter his lacking. I've seen people make that mistake. Like, he's not doing it, so now she's taking more and more chimera until they just find themselves two different pages. But be the Erlich person you could be. Don't say, well, my husband's not like that, so I just also. No. The more consistent you are, the more Erlich you are, and the more you're sticking to what you should do, it could also have a good influence on someone else. And there's no reason you shouldn't. So that's also very, very important. And like I said before, don't make believe you don't care. It doesn't mean you should nag and say things that aren't going to be taken well, but if he's asking you, or, or if he has a choice, and, and, and you make believe you don't care because I'm not Yemash Giyos, I don't want to even make believe that I care. Why would you make believe you don't care? Sometimes by making believe that it doesn't mean anything to you, and that alone you know, enables someone to just go a step further, which is not good. And, of course, learn what works in terms of encouragement or appreciation. Like if he does go to shul, you can tell him that you appreciated it if, it if it's taken well. And if it's not taken well, then you won't say that. Learn what works. Learn how you could boost someone in a positive way without feeling too codependent, too responsible to a point where it's too hard for you. But do what you could do to make someone feel good of the good things they do so that it gets promoted and encouraged and supported so they do even more of it. So even if telling someone critically, negatively, condescendingly, something that they're, some, that, that something they're doing is no good, it's not working, but there's so much that you could do to praise and encourage and support and promote the good when it works. So find out what works and, and, and keep on doing it the most of it you could. And the most you could do and the most that will be taken well is just smile and say good morning and have a, you know, a, a nice look on your face like we started off with. Then that's what you could do. Keep on doing it. Don't say, well, it's not my, my job. Now, you also ask, should I daven? Of course you should daven. That's not a contradiction. You should always daven and ask Hashem to help your husband and help you choose the right way. One thing I want to end off with, and that's very important, and that's the Das Torah part. I mentioned it often, everybody has to have some Das Torah to turn to consistently, the same person, the same guy, whether it's a Ruv, a Rebbe, a mentor, someone who you could trust. And the reason why in this, in this situation it's very, it's very important here is because very often when there's a spouse, especially, especially, it's always important, but very, very important when there's somebody, with a Yiddish guy challenge, let's say, it's always important to know the rules and the rules are always changing. You won't know what the right thing to do is. If your husband is not having your opinion, it's not affecting you at all. If he wants you to go along with that not having your opinion, whether it means going on a vacation where there's no minion, for example, or making a Shabbos before he dies, whatever it may be that affects you, it's important to know what the right thing to do is. Don't guess. I, me- I remember I said a shir once at Torah time, and I quoted, it was just a question, I was reading a question, somebody wrote that I had this question, and I asked my dying, and he told me I should do this for my husband. And, and, and that's what I did. And then there was a question. And I read it. I got a lot of negative feedback. How can you reach something in public? How can a woman do such a thing? Now, I understood that some people's issue with it was that if you say such a thing in public, others might get the idea, and they might also ask the dying and might find out that it's okay. So I got it. But some people had an issue with, what do you mean a dying is allowed to say such a thing? You're not allowed to do such a thing. And that part bothered me. The woman did the smartest thing she could do. She had a question. And she went by She asked the dying. We told her what to do. And that's what she did. She did the right thing. The fact that some listeners didn't like it or their dying may, would have, may have said something different, that's fine. You should follow your das title with confidence and know that you're doing the right thing. For some people, it's fine. For some people, it's not fine. For some situations, it's fine. Sometimes it's called for. Sometimes it's lechtrille. There's a word from one of the tzaddikim last week, I think it's the Baisa Vroom, said lech lechu, two weeks ago, lech lechu. Just the words lech lechu. Go your way. So what does it mean? When a person is serving Hashem, he has to go his way because sometimes well, for one person is a mitzvah, for the other person is a veda. For the other one person is a veda, for the other person is a mitzvah. Go your, do what's right for you. And don't try to figure it out on your own. 
ask a dime. Sometimes people try to figure it out on their own and, and, and they make mistakes. To assume that Shulam Bayis is always more important than anything else, it's very often a mistake. To assume that the, the Torah and the Masoira and the Minig is more important than Shulam Bayis, also often a mistake. Get guidance. Don't try to figure it out. And when you get guidance and you know what the Dasta is, don't be afraid to implement it in the right way, in a gentle way, making sure your spouse doesn't think there's anything personal, you're not fighting, you're not winning, there's no victory, no, no defeat. Nothing. I asked the Ruh, this is what he told me to do. You know, I, I wish I could do what you asked me to do, but you know, this is what he told me and this is what I feel I have to do. And when you say it with confidence, without, without that apologetic, uh, scary attitude, and you're consistent with it, your spouse will respect it. So I'm just saying all of this because whoever's dealing with any kind of challenge and they're not sure how to deal with it, it's important to discuss the specifics with somebody who can guide you, make sure that you're actually doing the right thing at the right time. So I think I covered some of the bases of knowing how to care about someone, um, assess the situation, not be someone else's mashgiach when it doesn't work, figure out what does work, and to make sure you're getting the proper guidance. And let me just finish off by saying that, of course, there's, there's the, the effect and the influence that a woman can have on her husband and on the whole home, even though it's not only by women to men, but just because the question came in this way, is, is limitless. We see how much attention we give the imuas, suri mine, rifki mine, ruchu, laya, right? Especially now, a whole parsha being called chaya sura. You know, there's nothing, and, and, and the, the, all the brucha that came into the house, but when, when, as, as long as Surah was there, there's nothing like what, what a, a, a woman with a smile and a good attitude and a pleasant and encouraging you know, attitude could do for a husband when it comes to Yiddishkeit, when it comes to anything. So just remembering that, whether it's a story of Rabbi Kiva that Chazal teaches or other things, remember what you could do for your husband, feel good about doing it, um, don't do what doesn't work, do whatever does work. And I yourself will overcome all these challenges, bring out the best of everyone, and live together. Baha'u'llah, Akhva Shalom